language is kind of a funny thing. Uh, I read a uh, uh, statement by uh, a, uh, a Greek scholar. He's one of the uh, biggest authorities as far as uh, teaching biblical Greek is concerned. And he said that uh, grammar is an attempt to explain the way language is used, not a set of rules to which language must adhere. And I thought, boy, I sure wish that some of my high school teachers had known that uh, because they always said we had to obey all these rules even though they had all these exceptions. Uh, but one of the things that you can't help uh, but notice if you pay much attention at all is that language changes. Uh, and the older you get, the, the more of a perspective you get on this kind of thing that, you know, some words don't mean what they used to mean. Uh, I know back when I was a kid, if somebody said that something was bad, they meant that it was bad. And then somewhere along the line, they started to use the word bad when they meant good. And uh, it's kind of like, I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't understand the, uh, the process that they followed to get there, but that's one of the things that people do. Uh, gay, for example, used to mean just a really happy person. And now it means something else. So one of the things that you have got to be really careful about is knowing what people mean by the words that they use. Uh, somebody once said that he would never have a discussion with anybody unless they first defined their terms. When you use this word, I want to know what you mean. And uh, especially when you start talking about uh, biblical usage. Uh, of words. One of the things that uh, occasionally causes some confusion uh, with people when they're, when they're looking at the Bible, reading it, trying to study it, is that there are words that are used in Scripture that are used in a religious sense that are generally speaking used in a different sense. They'll use the same words, elder for example. You know, they use the word elder in the, uh, in the Bible to mean an older person or they can be talking about the office of elder. Well, which one is it? You need to know. Uh, deacon is the same thing. We'll talk about that some tonight, hopefully. But it basically means a servant. Well, you know, uh, all Christians are to be servants or deacons, uh, if you want to look at it that way. But it can also be used when it's talking about the office of deacon, a particular kind of servant. Uh, and you have to know which one's being talked about. So when you look at some of the things, uh, scripturally speaking, people have come up with some uh, different definitions. Uh, and one of those uh, is the word faith. When most people use the word faith, they do not mean the same thing that the Bible means. Most people... Uh, and religious people, I think almost uh, especially, use the word faith when they're talking about an irrational belief. To them, faith is choosing to believe in something for which there's no evidence, or even there is evidence against it. Uh, there was a philosopher who was the one that came up with the, uh, uh, the phrase, a, a blind leap in the dark, and that's what he meant by faith. He said, evidence will only get you so far, and then you have to be able to take that blind leap into the dark. Uh, and that, to him, is what faith is. That is not 
the faith that's talked about in the Bible. Faith is not a belief without evidence or even contrary to evidence. Faith is a belief based on evidence. It is something that you have a reason to believe it. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, uh, the Hebrew writer says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. You cannot, absolutely cannot please God unless you have faith, biblical faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and this is the first part of it, you must believe that he is, you must believe that God exists and not just some supernatural power out there somewhere uh, that got the world started and then just walked away and left it to its own devices. He's talking about the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, the one who is intimately involved uh, with the earth and the people in it. But you have to first believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There are two parts to that. And a lot of times we forget about that. You not only have to believe that God is, that he exists, but you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is really important because what is implied there is that if you intend to be pleasing to God uh, and you can't please God without faith, but if you want to be pleasing to God, you have to diligently seek him. And he doesn't mean seek for his existence. I mean, we already talked about that. You have to believe that he is. Uh, and you go over into Romans chapter 1, and the Apostle Paul tells you that you can know some things about God simply by observing the universe around us. And one of the things, I, I have a bad tendency to get really, really irritated at times. And mostly I get really, really irritated at people who have lied to me and made me believe something that wasn't true. And one of the first things when I started looking into things religious uh, that irritated me the most was all of this stuff that people had been saying for years and years about evolution and all of this kind of stuff. I started reading the other side of the story and I found out people had been lying to me for years. I was not happy about it. Uh, luckily, one of the things that I, I did uh, bring out of that whole experience that was a good one is I learned about Apologetics Press. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, Apologetics Press is an outfit down in Alabama. They've got a really nice website. Uh, but they publish materials on Christian evidences, and I'm using Christian in the sense of the New Testament sense of the word, uh, not just somebody who says they believe in Christ, members of the church. Uh, but they have a lot of good material. And they, you can get some of that stuff and you can read some of the, uh, uh, the things about the, the truth about Darwin and his theory of evolution. Uh, that was one of the things that really irritated me because I was under the impression that Darwin uh, had got on uh, his ship, the Beagle, and they had gone to, uh, out sailing around and he went to the Galapagos Islands and he started observing all of this stuff. And because of his observations, he came up with a theory of evolution. And that is not what happened. He knew a theory of evolution when he was a little kid. His father even had dabbled in that kind of thing. So what he did, instead of trying to find facts 
and then see, okay, what, what do I have to believe based on these facts? He already had his conclusion. He was just looking for something to back it up. But you can find out some of these things, but you have to diligently seek God in order to have the faith that God wants you to have that makes you pleasing to him. And it's a faith based on evidence. Again, you, like I said, Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us there that there are things that we can know about God just by looking at the universe around us because this could not have happened on its own. Absolutely could not. Uh, you have some scientists who will say, you know, the chances against life uh, ever evolving on its own uh, is, you know, it, it's a number that's so astronomical you can't even imagine it. But isn't it wonderful it happened anyway? You know, now, if you want to talk about a blind faith, that's blind faith. It's not the faith that we have. But uh, uh, James, over in James chapter 2, talked about one of the, uh, one of the facets of faith that uh, people oftentimes forget about. And that is, is faith is not just belief. It's a belief that leads you to do something. It's a faith that leads to action. You know, if you have faith, you don't just sit there and, and, and have your faith to yourself. It makes you get up and do something. And uh, over in James chapter 2 and verse 14, James said, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? You have the belief, but that belief is not making you do anything. He says, can that faith save you? Or what you are calling a faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You said it, but you didn't do anything. Is it going to do any good? No. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is something that, must, that, that can be seen, and it's seen in your actions. You believe that there is one God. You do well. He said, somebody's going to say, well, I, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe that there's just one God. He said, well, that's great. Glad to hear it. You know, that's a good first step. But what else? You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? The demons believe that there's one God. Does that count as faith for them? Of course not. Faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? You can't have faith without works. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only and that's the only time you find faith only anywhere in the bible and it says that that is not what saves you saved by works as well as by your faith you know he talked about uh abraham 
And one of the things that I, I think really highlights uh, the kind of, of faith that Abraham had uh, over in Romans chapter 4, in verse 19, Paul said, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And verse 21 is the important one. And being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform. God made Abraham a promise. And Abraham did not consider the fact, look, I'm way too old to father children. Sarah is way too old to bear children. So this cannot possibly happen. He wasn't thinking about that. Now, he had his moments from time to time when he didn't do exactly what he was supposed to do. But by and large, he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. God said, I'm going to do this. And uh, Abraham didn't say, well, that's impossible. You can't do it. And he said, well, I don't know how this is going to work. But God said he'd do it, so he's going to do it. And that's the way it is. He was absolutely convinced that God could perform what God said he was going to perform. That is what the Bible means by faith. Not this irrational belief that so many people are thinking about when they use the word faith and hope. Now, and a lot of us are guilty of this too, uh, to a certain extent, but when we talk about hope, what are we usually thinking about? Wishful thinking. Oh, we're supposed to have a picnic Saturday and they're talking about rain. Boy, I sure hope it doesn't rain on us. You know, we don't have any reason to believe that things are gonna turn out the way we want them to turn out but that's what we hope is going to happen. We don't have any reason for it, but we're going to believe it anyway, and maybe it'll turn out that way. But in the Bible, when he talks about hope, he's talking about a confident expectation. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, Paul said, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? Now, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about something that has not yet happened. But we have every reason to believe that it will. It is a confident expectation. It's not something that, well, you know, it might and it might not. I don't know. He's just saying that this is something we know is going to happen. We just haven't seen it happen yet. And uh, specifically when you're talking about being saved in this hope, God has made a promise, and God's promises do not fail. God has promised that if we will do what he tells us to do to the best of our ability, not sinless perfection, but if we will do that, then we can have a home in heaven with him for eternity. Now, do we see that at this moment? No, we don't. Can we have a confident expectation that it's there? Absolutely. We haven't seen it yet, but we know it's there and it's coming. And that's what he's talking about. You know, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul talked about uh, the things that were written beforehand, being written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have what? Hope. But what he's saying is, is that all of these things, you know, sometimes people uh, wonder, well, why do we even have the Old Testament? 
You know, we're, we're not under the law of Moses. We're not under the patriarchal law. Why do we even have that? We don't need to study the Old Testament. We're not under uh, Old Testament law. It doesn't serve any useful purpose. It most certainly does. There are a lot of things that you can get out of the Old Testament that you can't get out of the New Testament. Uh, and one of those things is you get a, a much closer look in the Old Testament at a lot of these characters that are, are held up as examples for us, either good examples or bad ones. Uh, you know, we, we had been studying uh, recently uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, now, that, that is a couple of people for you. If you want to learn some things, you can learn a lot from Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, one thing that you can learn is that Ahab was bad, but he was not nearly as bad on his own as he was when Jezebel got involved because that's when things really went bad. But you get to look at people like David, a man after God's own heart, but he was still capable of committing some really horrific sins. But he was still a man after God's own heart because when he was confronted with his sins, he, he didn't try to mince words. He didn't try to palm it off on somebody else. He didn't try to excuse it. He said, I've sinned. He admitted what he had done. I have sinned. Now, uh, in 1 Samuel 15, you read about King Saul, and what does he do? Everything but admit that he sinned. I did what I was supposed to do. Well, maybe not exactly, but it was the people's fault, not mine. And, oh, by the way, we did it for a good reason. You know, you can't blame us for doing something wrong if we did it for a good reason, right? Well, that's what uh, Saul thought, but unfortunately for him, that was not the case. And over in uh, uh, 1 Peter, this one I think is a really uh, interesting one. Peter is talking to some people that are undergoing a lot of persecution. And uh, he is giving them, a, a, one of the reasons that you find the word uh, sojourn or pilgrim uh, through the book of First uh, Peter is because he's reminding them that our citizenship's in heaven. It's not here. You know, a sojourner was somebody who was just passing through. They don't hold citizenship there. They're going somewhere else. But uh, over in First Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter is talking about, you know, bad things are going to happen to you, but you need to be the right kind of person anyway. Verse 13, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, even when things are going bad. You, you set God aside as something holy. That's what he means by sanctified. You sanctify God as holy in your heart. You're going to do what he tells you to do, regardless of what that might be. And he says, and always be ready to give a defense, to give a reasoned argument to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, what Peter is saying is that you're, you are being persecuted. And it's one of those things, people are going to see that you're being persecuted, and they're going to see the way you react to that persecution. And they're going to say, why? Why are they like that? You know, I don't understand why they're being persecuted in the first place, because generally speaking, they're nice people. 
You know, they don't steal. They, they don't uh, commit fornication. They don't lie. You know, they don't do anything bad to anybody. Even, even bad people, you know, if they ask them for help, they'll help them. These are good people. So why are they being persecuted? I don't understand that. It just doesn't seem like it's fair. But even though they're being persecuted, and I don't think it's fair, they don't react in a bad way. You know, they don't go around talking uh, about the government and how terrible they are or, or things like that. So I want to know, why are they like that? And so he says, you need to be able to give a reasoned argument to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Why don't you act the way most people would? Because I'm a Christian. Well, so what? You know, I don't see the, the connection. Well, because Christians, if we do what God tells us to do, when this life is over, we're going to go to heaven. And all of the things, the bad things in this life are going to be left behind. We don't have to worry about those. But he says you better be reasoned or, or be able to give a reasoned argument for this hope. And you do it with meekness and fear. You know, it's not because of how good I am. It's because of how good God is. But he said give them that argument or be able to give them that argument. Give them a defense for the things that you believe and that lead you to be the way you are. And another one that you find that, that is used in a, a, a real different way these days is the word love. People have taken that and they have just absolutely mangled it. And it's a terrible thing. You know, one of the things that hurts my feelings the most over the way things have been the last few years is what people have done with the rainbow. Rainbow was a symbol of God's mercy and his grace. It was something that God put in the heavens to tell us, you know, I destroyed the world once because of its wickedness. I will never again destroy it by water. You can, you can be guaranteed that that's the case. And we could see it and, and realize that God is a merciful God. And what have they done with it? You know, used to, you could see a rainbow on something and, oh, well, that's nice. It's bright. It's colorful. It's happy. Can't do that anymore. They have changed it into a completely different thing. They have ruined it. And they do that with love, too. Today, love, in, in the minds of a lot of people, is you don't judge. You don't judge. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they don't do. It doesn't matter who they are. You know, as long as they're not causing a whole lot of, of harm to somebody else, you just let them go, do their own little thing, and you just don't worry about it. Don't, don't say anything, don't do anything, and that's love. And as soon as you start to point out that somebody is doing the wrong thing or they are the wrong thing, this is not what God wants, you're a, a hater. You're a hater, you're a transphobe, you're a uh, racist, you're any bad word that they can think of. And that's what you are because you're trying to tell them that they're wrong. The, I, I read a, uh, an article back, it had been a few years ago, there was some, uh, some woman, she was uh, with a, uh, a news organization and she decided that she was gonna do an, an undercover story on a, uh, a Christian church. 
And I don't know, don't remember if, even if they said what uh, denomination this group was, but it was an evangelical uh, group of people. Evangelical means that you believe that you need to go out and convince people that they're wrong and that they need to change or else they're going to go to hell when they die. Uh, that's what evangelical means, and there are very, very few of us left. Uh, but anyway, she, she went to this group. It was somewhere out on the East Coast, and, and she started attending there, and she didn't tell them what she was doing. She was getting material for her story. And she said that after she had been there for a while, uh, it kind of surprised her when she realized these are not bad people. She thought there are, there are a bunch of haters. They, they hate everybody that's not like them. And she found out that's not the case. And she said even when they were going and trying to tell people uh, like uh, gay people or, or drug addicts or whatever, when they were trying to tell these people that what they were doing was wrong, it was not from bad intentions. They were telling people that they were doing wrong because they were concerned about them. And that was a real shock to her. She said, I just did not understand. I knew that they talked about things as being bad, but I thought it was because they hated them. And it turned out it was exactly the opposite. They were telling these people that these things were bad and that they needed to stop. They needed to change because they were concerned about them. And it finally got through to her that, you know, no, they're, they're saying this stuff because they're good people. They actually are concerned. They love these people or they wouldn't do that. And that is exactly true. I told somebody one time, he said that, that uh, uh, Christians are homophobes. They, they hate gay people. I said, no, they don't. I said, now, if you're talking about the Westboro, Arkansas group, you know, we're not even discussing them. Uh, one of the things that I find really ironic uh, is that the way they're going, they're going to get to spend eternity with the people that they hate the most. And that's kind of a sobering thought. Uh, but they said, you know, Christians are like that. They're, 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 they're haters. They hate gay people. I said, no, they're not. I said, now think about this. If, if I hated gay people, then what would I want for them? Bad things. Well, I would want for them bad things, and not only just bad things, but the worst of all possible things. If I really, really hated them, that's what I'd want. Well, to a Christian, what is the worst of all possible things that you end up in hell for an eternity? So if I, as a Christian, hate gays, that's what I would want for them. Now, how am I going to help bring that about? Am I going to warn them that homosexuality is a sin? No, I wouldn't warn them about it. I want them to keep on doing just what they're doing. That way they'll go to hell. I'm not going to warn them. As a matter of fact, if anything, I'll encourage them to keep doing what they're doing because I want them to go to hell when they die. If I really hated them, that's what I would do. I'd tell them, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. You're not doing anything wrong. Just keep on. It doesn't matter who you love as long as you love somebody. That's what I would do. And I won't do that. Why? Because I hate them? No. Because I love them and I'm concerned about them. And I don't want them to go to hell. You see, you, you warn people that you care about. 
you know, people are out doing something and it's kind of a dumb thing to do. And you think, well, if the idiot had a bit of sense, he wouldn't do that. I don't know him, you know, and if something bad happens to him, there's no money coming out of my pocket. So just let him go do what he wants to do. You know, you don't, you don't know them. You don't really care about them all that much. But if it's a family member of yours or a really good friend of yours, it's somebody you care about, what are you going to do? Warn them. That, look, that's not a good idea. You need to stop that. You're going to get hurt if you keep that up. And I don't want to see you get hurt. Well, that's what Christians are doing when they point out that these people are committing sin. We're concerned about you. We don't want to see bad things happen to you. And so we're telling you in as kind a way as we can, don't do that it's going to hurt you so please stop christians do not hate gays if they're if they're pleasing in the sight of god they don't hate anybody they may be forced to point out that some people are doing the wrong thing but um, you know the the way people use the term love these days is not at all what it ought to be you know, over in Romans chapter 13, one of, one of the places, I, I, I love to teach on love. I really do. Because it's one of those things, it's a, it's a thumbnail sketch of the entire Bible. In Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul said that love is a fulfillment of the law. If you love other people properly, then you will do everything that the Bible tells you to do as far as your, your interaction, your relationship with them. And of course, if we, if we are going to love God, then we will do what we're supposed to do. You know, in, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that causes a lot of people some serious problems because they don't really want to do what Jesus said to do, but at the same time, they want to claim that they love Jesus. We love Jesus. Well, are you going to be baptized for the remission of your sins? Well, I don't think that's necessary. Well, Jesus said, do it. You're not going to do it? No. Well, you don't love him then, do you? Again, you can tell what people are by their actions. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14 says we're supposed to warn the unruly. That's uh, one of the things about uh, church discipline, you almost never hear anything about it anymore, is because people say it doesn't work. Why does it not work? Well, because since it's not going to work, you know, if the elders decided to withdraw fellowship, I've been going to breakfast with that guy once a week for 40 years. I'm not going to stop now. That's why it won't work, because people don't take it seriously. And church discipline, if you're talking about uh, withdrawal of fellowship, should be the very last step in a very long process. Again, you know, Paul said, warn those who are unruly. Was he telling the elders that? Yes, but not just them. The preacher, yes, but not just him. The deacons, yes, but not just them. He's telling all Christians, if you see somebody that's doing something wrong, you warn them. Why do you warn them? Because you love them. You don't want to see them go to hell when they die. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my word. People don't really understand what love is all about anymore. The best definition that I have ever heard of biblical love is wishing for others the highest possible good and working to bring that good about when we can. And that's what we as Christians should do. People don't understand what faith is. They don't understand what hope is. 
and they certainly don't understand what love is. And we need to know what the Bible is talking about when it uses those terms. It may be that there's someone here this morning that is not a child of God. If that be the case, you could come forward confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to go to God in prayer, confess your sin to him from a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. Or it could be that you just need to come forward and ask for the prayers of those gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing? <laughs>